Over the summer, we have been on a journey of reviewing cliches that followers of Jesus often use. We even looked at a cliche that people who may not be followers of Jesus use about those who do follow Jesus. Here's what we've been saying. Cliché is anything that has become trite or commonplace through overuse. Now, here's the thing about clichés. They are trite phrases that often, not always, but often contain elements of truth. There's something there. They are often kind of or sort of true. That's why we've been saying cliché-ish. Cliché-ish has the idea that this overused phrase may or may not be accurate, but it sure needs explanation. And that's what we've been doing. Taking these trite statements and running them through the truth of what we find in Scripture to develop accurate statements. So far, we have walked through 10 clichés. I'm sure you remember them all, right? Let's review, class, shall we? We launched this journey with the cliché, work is a necessary evil. On June 28th, Ben Jones taught and looked at the cliché, God never gives you more than you can handle. On July 5th, Gus Sereka taught and looked at the phrase, God bless America. On July 12th, God's going to do what God is going to do, so why bother? On July 19th, Dr. Modica spoke, and the cliche he unpacked was, don't worry, God's in control. July 26th, when God closes a door, he opens a window. August 2nd, if you want to be saved, just invite Jesus into your heart. August 9th, if you doubt your salvation, then you're probably not truly saved. August 16th, Christianity is intolerant and judgmental toward others. I would be interested in Christ if it weren't for Christians. August 23rd, God helps those who help themselves. Well, today we wrap up this theme with one more cliche. Before I present that, I want to say that I really enjoy the summer from a church teaching and planning perspective. We take the whole summer, 11 or 12 weeks, and just sit in one theme. We really don't do that at any other time during the year. Our themes are generally four to six weeks in length, so that makes the summer unique. Obviously, this has been a summer like no other in that we are battling a pandemic and life is restructured. I just want to say that I am proud of you. I'm proud of Valley Point. Your kindness and your interest in helping is inspiring. Thank you for being a generous, life-giving community. I continue to be impressed with you and so thankful that I have the privilege of serving with you. You are loved. Now, I want to share this. Next Sunday will be a standalone talk on Labor Day weekend, and then we begin a new theme on September 13th. I just wrote that talk And I can't wait to share it with you. Really, I am very excited. 
we return to the idea of one and being bright lights. How can we and how should we love our one the way God wants us to love them? I think we may be surprised, and this is very timely content right now. Okay, one more cliche-ish. Let's pray, and then we'll think. Father, we are so grateful for today and for the opportunity to dive into Scripture one more time and allow it to speak to us in fresh ways, to unite our hearts with your heart, to be obedient to you. So God, as we walk through this, help us to listen and help us to be very ready to do whatever it is that you place upon our hearts in terms of following you. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's our cliche-ish for today. God is my co-pilot. God is my co-pilot. Interestingly enough, the word pilot is used in Scripture four times, all in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word basically means a sailor or shipmaster and has the idea of handling ropes. Of the four times we find this word being used, all in Ezekiel chapter 27, it refers to oarsmen and sailors. I think it's fair to say that when we think of pilots, we probably have an airplane pilot in mind, someone who flies. Obviously, that's not what Ezekiel had in mind, writing in approximately 571 B.C. So, this cliche, God is my co-pilot. It sounds kind of warm and cozy and has the idea of I drive or fly and God is my helper. Or it could even indicate that I drive or fly and God's there but I'm really the one doing the heavy lifting. God's just kind of there in case I need a helping hand. But I've got this. It's kind of like, I'm okay, but if I run into trouble, Jesus take the wheel, right? By the way, one of my favorite memes is this. I think when asking Jesus to take the wheel, you do have to be specific. That's kind of important. Well, the challenge with this cliche is that God as co-pilot is not really how you see God portrayed in Scripture. In one of the classic scenes in Scripture, Isaiah the prophet describes how he saw the Lord seated on a throne. It's really dramatic. And in the passage... Isaiah is completely overwhelmed to the point where he states, it's all over, or woe is me, I am doomed for I am a sinful man. And you can read all about this in Isaiah chapter 6. There's no, hey co-pilot, hey buddy. There is deep respect. 
I don't think this cliche is probably the best way to describe our friendship with God. And here's why. When I imagine God as my co-pilot, I fuel my own illusion that I am in control of my day, my circumstances, and even my life. I am not. The truth is that I do not need a co-pilot. I need a pilot. And God is very capable. Okay, big idea time. And I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to give you two big ideas. And you can choose the one that works best for you. It's Option Sunday. You chose a great day to be here. Okay, here's big idea number one. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. Here's big idea number two. God is not interested in co-piloting. So you choose. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. Or God is not interested in co-piloting. Now, here's what's interesting that we find in Scripture, and that is God never compares us to pilots. It's not what you find. He does compare us to something, though. He compares us to sheep, not shepherds or co-shepherds, but he compares us to sheep. With your Bible or your device, please find John's Gospel. John is a New Testament book that shares the life and story of Jesus. John, the author, is an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. In John chapter 10, we find Jesus teaching. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief or a robber. Now, do you see that word thief there? It comes from the Greek word kleptes and means a thief or one who steals. This is where we get the English word klepto or kleptomaniac. And Jesus is making the case here, that's not me. I'm not a thief. Instead, I'm this. And here's verse 2. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, here's what he does he walks ahead which has the idea of in front of or before. So after he has gathered his own flock, he walks in front of or before them and they follow, which means they are behind or they are accompanying him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. 
And then in verse 14, Jesus reemphasizes this again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. What we find in the verses that follow is Jesus is explaining this illustration. Now, there are some thinking points that come naturally from John's words here in chapter 10. Here's the first thinking point. And that is he, Jesus, is the shepherd. And Jesus makes that case as he teaches. Thinking point number two. Those who follow him, well, they are sheep. Now, here's what we need to know about sheep. Sheep were the most numerous domestic animal in ancient Israel, and they are mentioned more than 500 times in the Bible. It's quite a bit. Archaeological records indicate that the ancient world placed great importance on documenting sheep. Scribes kept records that included the type of animals in the flock and the production of wool or dairy products. These records provide insight into government flocks, which were entrusted to shepherds. Written contracts included the shepherd's payment in sheep products and newborn lambs. For example, old Babylonian contracts allowed shepherds to keep between eight and 20% of newborn lambs as payment. Just kind of interesting. Well, here's something else that is interesting. Sheep were an indicator of wealth. And we see this in scripture. Although many of the references to sheep in the Bible are literal, most of the references in the New Testament are metaphorical, comparing the relationship of Christ and his followers to that of the shepherd and his flock, and that's exactly what we find in John chapter 10. The Bible's metaphorical use of sheep usually emphasizes their dependence on the shepherd to find them food and water and to guard them. Okay, thinking point number three. Jesus knows his sheep, and that's clear. In John chapter 10. One more thinking point, and that is the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I believe thinking point number four, the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep, which is repeated a few times by Jesus in John chapter 10, and then lived out by Jesus' actions because he did sacrifice his life is the point of the parable Jesus is sharing here. And because of that, he's not a co-pilot. Jesus, he's the shepherd. Followers, well, they're the sheep. And followers, here's what they should do. They should follow. And this isn't a burden. It's not a burden at all. It would be a burden if the shepherd were a tyrant or a bully or a cruel, manipulative, overbearing authority. But he is the, did you pick up on this? 
the good shepherd. A good shepherd. Well, let's follow. After all, here is what we read in the beautiful words of the 23rd Psalm, which so many people have used through the centuries as a way to find comfort in Jesus who guides. Just listen to these words and allow them to fall in a fresh way into your heart. The Lord is my shepherd. Right? Personalize this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup, it overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So who needs to co-pilot with that, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Let's just trust and follow. Let's trust and follow. I have one takeaway, and it's a question. Check. Who's driving or piloting your life? That's the question. Who's driving or piloting your life? Believer, is Jesus truly leading? If not, what do you need to rearrange in your life to make that a reality? Rearrange, okay? It's worth it because he is a good shepherd. For non-followers, or those who may not be so sure about this whole Jesus thing, maybe you would say that Jesus isn't leading your life because he's not your shepherd. But perhaps that sounds good, to have a good shepherd to follow. Here's my encouragement. Be humble enough to follow the one worth following Trust him. Follow him. In doing that, you might just find yourself. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you so thankful for this teaching found in John chapter 10 about how Jesus declares, I'm not a thief. That's not who I am. I am a good shepherd. I am one who can lead. And you invite us to follow you. 
What an amazing thing. You, creator, inventor, the one overall and above all, you offer this to us. And when we trust, when we believe, you become our shepherd. God, I pray that you'd help all of us to think about our next step here. God, maybe for some, we've been in the co-piloting mode. Or maybe we have even removed you from being close to us at all and we're just driving and running and we're in control. We're in charge. God, I confess to you, often I find myself piloting my life without inviting you to take the lead and to get out of the seat and to make sure that you are driving and piloting and I'm following you. That's my confession. And God, perhaps there's a lot of people that are watching this who may feel the same way. I pray that you give them the courage today to rearrange some things. To say, oh God, help me to get out of that seat and allow you to lead. God, give them the courage to take that step. God, for others who maybe have never trusted in Jesus, the good shepherd, and have never turned their life over to him, I pray that you'd help them to realize you provide something for us that we never could have accomplished on our own. Help them to trust, to believe. Wherever you're watching or listening from, I want to encourage you to make this a quiet moment between you and God. And perhaps you need to affirm some things and rearrange some things in your life. Do that now. And in your own words, just cry out and tell God what you're doing. I think he'll be very pleased with you turning to him, the good shepherd. Maybe you are ready to trust and believe, and that's a step you've never taken before for whatever reason, but the thought of having a good shepherd who is yours, the Lord's my shepherd, perhaps that's really appealing to you and you're ready to take that step. You are ready to trust and believe. Then I would just encourage you with your own words, cry out to the good shepherd cry out to him and let him know that you believe in him and that you are trusting in him alone to rescue you. You're not going to add anything to that. And you're going to let him drive. You're going to let him pilot and lead. Just from your heart to his ears, with your own words, make that cry out to him. Scripture tells us that he will listen and he will not turn away from you. So cry out to him. Father, I ask all of these prayers being lifted up to you. Help us. Help us to truly follow. Not try to get out in front. But help us to truly follow your lead. 
And God, for those who have never embraced the leadership and the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus, the good shepherd, I pray that today would be their day where they truly trust and believe. Help us to follow. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.